Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James, and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary, and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I have been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in the scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now, grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the hearing and reading of His Word. As we begin this episode, I would like to review just a small amount and give a little bit um, more of an explanation of something I touched on in the last episode, and that is the question of Cain and his wife. The question is, where did Cain get his wife? Adam and Eve had more children than just Cain, Abel, and Seth. The Bible says, and we will read about it here in just a few moments in Genesis chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, says, And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of Adam were 930 years, and he died. Now, the Jewish people had a tradition, and that's not necessarily true, it's tradition, that Adam and Eve had 33 sons and 23 daughters. Now, from the Bible, which is true, it's not tradition, we know that Adam and Eve had Cain, Abel, Seth, and then it says sons, plural, and daughters, plural. So that is at least seven children. 
two or more of which were girls. And I hope you can see how I came up with that. Um, just go back and read it in the scriptures and you'll see where I got at a minimum. They had seven children and two of those had to be girls. So if we assume that Adam and Eve were fertile for 450 of Adam's 930 years, and let's just say they only had one child every two years, that means that they could have had 225 children. So think of how that number would increase if we consider even more years of childbearing and the possibility of twins, not to mention triplets even, maybe, possibly. So in a relatively short period of time, there would have been a very large population upon the earth in a world where people were living to be hundreds of years old. So another point to bring out here in this discussion is that from Genesis chapter 3 to Leviticus chapter 18, there is a 2,500-year time period. And before Leviticus 18, it is not against the law to marry a close relative. So Cain probably did marry one of his sisters. He could have married a niece, but it was probably a sister. And this is not uncommon in ancient cultures. In fact, Adam, the father of Israel, I'm sorry, Abraham, not Adam, Abraham, the father of all Israel, married his half-sister, Sarah. And sin and its curse are what brought mutations into our DNA. And this is why we cannot marry our close relatives today unless we want to see strange birth defects for our children. So the closer we are to the original source, the purer the DNA. And so for the first 2,500 years or so, people actually did marry within their own family. And to be academically honest and using historical sources that are outside the Bible, we know that ancient cultures married within their own family, and this is just simply a fact. I would also like to share with you as we get ready for chapter 5 here, a note about Charles Darwin. And if you don't know who Charles Darwin is, you need to get out more often. Um, I don't know where you've been. Charles Darwin is who we might consider to be the father of evolution, the theory of evolution. The original title of his book uh, was or is The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the preservation of the favored races in the struggle for life. And this is important because it shows that Charles Darwin was a racist. He considered himself to be part of the favored race, or at least a member of the favored races. Of course, he's not going to write a book and not include himself in that favored race. And I'd also like to share with you another note about someone who you might not think of as an evolutionist, but this man's name was Adolf Hitler. 
And here's a quote from a speech that he gave to his officer cadets on June 22nd, 1944. And this is a quote. Nature is always teaching us that she is governed by the principle of selection, that victory is to the strong and the weak must go to the wall. War is therefore unalterable law of the whole of life. The prerequisite for the natural selection of the strong and the precedent for the elimination of the weak. All creation is subject to this law. No one can avoid it. Since life on earth began, struggle has been the very essence of existence. End quote. So from an evolutionary standpoint, Hitler was right to get rid of those he saw as a lesser race. The strong survive and the weak are to be destroyed. How and why was Hitler wrong if we believe evolution is true? Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that I'm on the side of Hitler. What I'm trying to point out to my audiences is that there is an inconsistency in the thinking. There's an inconsistency in the worldview. The same folks that would tell me that evolution is true and evolution is correct they would tell me that racism is wrong and that Hitler was wrong. Why? That's my question. Why, based on your worldview, you cannot borrow from my worldview or a biblical worldview because you've rejected the Bible. I want to know why, from an evolutionary point of view, was Hitler wrong? Why is Darwin's clear racial bias wrong? Is it wrong? You see, Darwin would argue that um, what we call racism today is really nothing more than the preservation of the favored races. And so while I'm on this subject, just let me give you a little note here about skin color as well. Did you know we're all the same skin color? It's uh, melanin. <laughs> we just have different amounts of it based upon our what? What do you think? our genetics. See, the biggest difference genetically between even the most diverse so-called races amounts to 0.012%. And you can find that fact in a book called The Destructive Nature of the Term Race, Growing Beyond a False Paradigm. The author's name, Cameron, is the last name, and Wyckoff, W-Y-C-O-F-F. -F. The destructive, I'm sorry, the destructive nature of the term race growing beyond a false paradigm. And why do I bring that up? I bring that up because as a Christian who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe in the biblical account of creation, I believe that we are all one race. I don't even like to use the word race because I believe we are different people groups, but we are all one race. Certainly there are language barriers. There are cultural differences. There are difference in skin tone and all the rest. 
but that doesn't make us a different race. What that actually shows is a diversity in God's creation. It shows a creator who is magnificent in his ability and his desire to show his creative difference, yet all one race. So for this episode, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter five. And previously I talked about um, a great water blanket, which I believe covered the earth because there was a firmament, which was above, if you'll remember from the beginning. And the impact of this firmament, which was above, would be um, very different. It would be a, diff a very different earth than what we see today. An atmosphere like this would provide stable temperatures for the entire planet, and it would provide protection from UV rays. And we noticed from the very start that God had a different way of watering the plants, and he did so without rain. So in Adam's day and before the flood of Noah, the earth was much warmer and it was consistent over time. So at some point, I also mentioned uh, the earth's electromagnetic field. I want to expand on that a little bit more here. Um, it is getting weaker over time. And I think I even mentioned that before, you know, and don't worry, you know, it's not like the whole planet's going to be destroyed and, you know, something's going to happen to gravity or whatever the case might be. Um, but what we know from the weakening of the electromagnetic field is that we can go back in time because folks who study this and listen, I will just say right here, right now, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an archeologist. I'm not a historian. I simply am reading facts that you can find. And these are facts. I'm not making things up. It's as simple as a search on the internet, or if you don't want to use the internet, just go to your local library, go to a bookstore and seek out those things that you may not have ever heard of before and approach it with an open mind. So that said, folks who study these things can measure the decay or the weakening of the electromagnetic magnetic field of the earth over time. So if we go back in time, let's say we just go back 25,000 years ago, just 25,000 years, we would have a mean surface temperature on the earth of about 200 degrees Fahrenheit. And if we go back even further, let's just add another 25,000 years to that, make it a grand total of 50,000 years. And we go 50,000 years into our past, the earth would be molten liquid. And here's what this does. It presents evidence for a young earth and it creates a problem for the evolutionist because the evolutionists have billions of years to work with, not just a few thousand, but billions. And so the explanation is, is that the earth's magnetic field repairs itself every three to 5,000 years. It repairs itself, but here's a problem with that. And I'll drive this home. I will never stop talking about it. No one has ever seen the repair. Did you hear me? <laughs> there is no evidence to support the claim that every three to 5,000 years, the earth's magnetic field just automatically repairs itself and regenerates or does whatever it does. And it fixes itself. No one has ever seen that. 
So why do I bring all this up? What's this got to do with racism and Adolf Hitler? And it looks like I'm all over the map. I'm talking about the atmosphere. I'm talking about the electromagnetic field. The reason I'm bringing these things up is because I would like you to keep these ideas in mind as we read Genesis chapter 5. Take all of these things that I've said into consideration. Approach it with an open mind. That's all I'm asking, an open mind. So let's read Genesis chapter 5, the Word of God, together. Genesis chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days of that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. And after he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived... 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old 
And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Now, you may think as we read through this passage that there's a, not a whole lot here. In fact, at one point, I even got a little uh, tripped up just there a little bit toward the end. There's names uh, that are certainly not common, difficult for some people to pronounce, especially if they're trying to produce a podcast where they read the Bible verse by verse. Uh, but it appears to be a list of men and their favorite sons. But I'm going to suggest to you that if we look a little closer, we'll see that there's much, much more here. Once when I was in the Air Force and out of a genuine curiosity, I grabbed some graph paper and I decided to chart out these incredibly long ages. And I would later refine this chart and work on it some more. And I will attempt here in this episode to share with you what I found um, it's difficult to do this on a podcast because I can't give you a handout. I'm not doing YouTube. And so I don't have a slideshow that I could give to you. Um, so I'm going to do my best to talk you through this chart. But this is something that you can do yourself. It's really not difficult. Remember, as I've stated, you know, I'm, I'm not a professor. I'm not a rocket scientist. Um, if I can sit down and just do some simple math and figure this out, um, I would imagine that anyone, even with like, say, an eighth grade reading ability, could probably figure this out for themselves. So um, remember also, as I go through this, that the biblical timeline, and my claim has been this, that we'll see that Lamech, and this is not the Lamech in Cain's line, but this is a new Lamech. Uh, that we just read about in Seth's line. He is Noah's father. And he could have heard the story of creation and the fall of man directly from Adam himself because they were alive at the same time. And this chapter is where I get that information from because I've extrapolated it from the years and the ages given. So again, this is a James opinion here. I believe that Adam wrote it down. And I believe he gave this record to Lamech, who in turn gave it to Noah. And Noah took it on the boat with him during the flood, which we will read about over the next few chapters. Um, and I would just remind my listeners at this point, none of this happened in a vacuum. And so Adam could have made these records and they could have been copied by other people. They could have been distributed. Um, while I do maintain that Adam gave, uh, a record to Lamech, that's not necessarily the case either. There could have been copies of these records and uh, it could have been public knowledge. Oftentimes we have this image in our brain that primitive man was just walking around like some kind of Neanderthal. <laughs> I wonder where we got that idea from. And I'm proposing here that what actually happened was the opposite that they were intelligent. They were extremely intelligent. I would argue that they were brilliant, that they uh, had all kinds of advancements and technologies. And who is to say that they did not even have a library where you could actually read the accounts written by Adam himself? So is any of that in the Bible? No, it's not. But it is reasonable. 
it's reasonable based on the information that we do have. So another thing that you have no doubt noticed at this point as we've gone through it is that the these men had an extraordinarily long lifespan. And this is one thing that the skeptic will point out to as something which could not possibly be accurate in our Bible because no one lives to be much over 70. If they make it to 100, we think it's a big deal. So the Bible cannot be accurate. But I wonder, is the skeptic sharing that same level of scrutiny when they look at Babylonian tablets, which have similar lifespans recorded there? And see, Babylon is important because it's the first city mentioned after the flood of Noah. It appears that though the story was no doubt perverted in the Babylonian rendering, these ancients believed in a flood and they also had long lifespans, which were recorded by Babylonians as well. So while this does not prove the Bible, what it shows us is that the ancients believed in a global flood. And for some reason, they recorded long lifespans. So you must decide if these records from outside the Bible are based in fact, or are they just more of the same falsehood? And I made mention earlier of my chart that I made. Um, I call my chart Adam's table, but I should probably call it Seth's table. That said, I want to give you Adam's age when each of the men mentioned in chapter 5 were born. And we can extrapolate this from the ages given for each generation's previous father. You actually can accomplish this same exercise all on your own. So here we go. Adam was 130 when Seth was born. He was 235 when his grandson, Enosh, was born. He was 325 when his great-grandson, Canaan, was born. He was 395 when his great-great-grandson, Mahalalel, was born. He was... 460 years old when his three times great-grandson Jared was born. And remember, we're talking about Adam here. Adam was 622 when Enoch, his four times great-grandson, was born. Pause. Enoch is the first one recorded after the fall of man who walked with God. And remember from what we just read that when Enoch was 365 years old, God took him. And some see this as a picture of what happens when you walk with God. Personally, that's the way I like to look at it. God will take you with him to live forever. How do we walk with God, friends? Because I'm incapable of walking with God. How do we do that? We walk with God. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus and what he has done. He has made it possible that I could walk with God. So let's get back to how old Adam was at each birth. So here we go. Adam was 687 when his five times great grandson Methuselah was born. And here's another interesting thing about Methuselah. 
he's the oldest man recorded in all of scripture. He lived to be 969 years old. And it is significant that his age is mentioned and that he's the oldest of all. Why? Because this gives us a picture of God's grace and God's mercy toward mankind. Why do I say that? Because it's after Methuselah dies that the great flood comes, which was God's judgment on the earth. And we'll notice that all in Seth's line, with the exception of Noah, die before the flood. God was merciful to the line of Seth. God chose the line of Seth. So Adam was 874 years old when his six times great-grandson Lamech was born. And Lamech was 65 years old when Adam dies at the age of 930. Now from these ages and from Noah's preaching time, which we're soon going to read about, we arrive at an approximate time of the flood. It occurred 1,656 years after Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden. So I hope that you were able to follow that. If you need to rewind, uh, listen to it over again, uh, I would encourage you to do something as simple as what I did. Get a piece of graph paper or even just a sheet of notebook paper with lines so that you can uh, chart out the number of years because these ages are given for this purpose so that the reader can do exactly what I did. And we can see, really, the first 1,600 plus years of mankind before the flood. So I would also like to share something, and that is the significance of the names and the meanings of these names that are recorded here. And I'm borrowing from a Bible teacher. His name is Chuck Missler. And some of you may have heard of Chuck Missler. I don't have any original thoughts. As I've said before, I get everything that I have from reading and uh, listening to others who are way smarter than me, and they have figured this stuff out. I'm standing on their shoulders, as they say. So according to Chuck Missler, the names of these men in Seth's line actually forecast the future. So let's look at what these names mean. So we have Adam. And his name means man or the man. So we have Seth. His name means appointed. So Seth was appointed. Enosh means mortal or frail. Canaan means sorrow. How would you like to have a name and your name is sorrow? But that's what Canaan's name means. Then we have Mahalalel and Anytime you see the word E or the letters E-L in your Bible, look for something about God. So Mahalalel, the E-L there, is God. So Mahalalel actually means blessed God. Then we have Jared. Jared's name means shall come down shall come down. So next we have Enoch. Enoch is 
His name means teaching. Teaching. Not a bad name. What is your name? Teaching. Then we have Methuselah. Now, Methuselah's name is very interesting, especially whenever we consider how long he lived. Remember something unusual about Methuselah. He is the oldest man recorded in Scripture. He's believed to be the oldest man that ever was. And his name means death to send forth. Then we have Lamech, despairing or lament. And Lamech actually sounds a little bit like lament. So despairing or lament. And then we have Noah, and we have a clue about Noah's name because of what Lamech said about Noah. And his name means to bring rest or to bring relief or comfort. So if we string these names together and add a few verbs and articles in the English language to make it flow a little bit easier, this is what you end up with. Man, or the man, is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. And it might be helpful at this point to point out and make a comparison between the line of Seth and the line of Cain. Because I think as you look at those names and you string them together, and even without the English words in there to make it make sense, just reading their names, man, appointed, mortal or frail, sorrow. Blessed God shall come down, teaching, death to send forth, despairing, lament, to bring rest, relief, or comfort. You just take those words you can see there's almost an outline there of the gospel message. And so that's why I want to take a look at these two lines that we have mentioned here in Genesis. We have Cain. Cain's list only goes on for six generations. And I started this episode off talking about Cain and where did Cain get his wife? But here's what we see in Cain's line. We have the first murderer, and um, we have Lamech, and this is a different Lamech now. This is not Noah's father. This is the Lamech that is six generations down from Cain, and he's being the last in the line, and he's the second recorded murder. In Lamech, you have the first polygamist. You've got the first outspoken promoter of what we might even call blood revenge, if you'll remember the poem. Of Lamech. And as we read about Lamech, we find out that he had three sons who contributed to society in three very uh, distinct ways. And while we can gather that Cain's line excelled in material civilization, there's not a single one in Cain's line who walked with God. So with Lamech, we have the last mention of the wicked line of Cain. But now let's notice Seth's line in contrast. See, there's a spiritual emphasis as we look at the line, and especially as we look at their names. We can gather that there's a spiritual emphasis here just from their names alone. So could it be that these men 
We're holding to the promise of the proto-evangelium, remember, that we talked about. Did they see that their line was chosen by God to bring forth this seed of the woman? Notice that Enoch is another first. He's the first one after the fall of man to be mentioned for his fellowship with God. The Bible says that he walked with God, and he actually entered into eternal life without passing through death. God simply took him. Imagine you're walking with God. Can you imagine such a relationship with God that one day you're praying or you're even possibly walking with God? Maybe this was a theophany and he was physically there. Can you imagine God just saying, you know, today you're not going home. Today you're coming with me. I'm taking you with me. Can you imagine the level of trust that Enoch must have had in the coming seed of the woman, which we know to be Jesus Christ? So the 10th and the last name in the line of Seth is Noah. And Noah became God's representative in the days of the moral degeneration and the sin that we're going to be reading about as the flood is drawing near. It's Noah who preaches. And Noah is the last mention before the flood um, of the virtuous line, that is, of Seth. So notice that Noah's three sons are mentioned also. So we had these sons of Lamech up in Cain's line, and now we have three sons of Noah that are mentioned. And we haven't gotten to it uh, yet, but these three sons became the ancestors of the three greatest people groups. And this is what other people may call races, but I've already stated that I really don't like to use that word. The three greatest people groups of the world. And we are going to develop this further in a later episode. I am going to end it here. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. And I hope that when you read the scriptures that you don't just skim over those names that are very hard to pronounce, that you don't just skim over all those long years and, and have unresolved questions in your mind. How could this possibly be? You know, we've never seen anybody live that long. Well, things were very different. And that is what I have hoped to show you. And I've hoped to show you the idea of racism is actually not a Christian idea. It's not a godly idea, as you may have been taught, or maybe you thought. It's actually the other way around. If you're going to be a true evolutionist, then you have no problem with racism. In fact, you embrace it. In fact, you um, see evolution and racism as very compatible. But see, the problem is most evolutionists have enough sense to see hatred is wrong. They know that hatred is not correct. Why do they know this? Because deep down inside, they still have a conscience. Deep down inside, they know the truth. In fact, as we've talked about before, they know the truth, but they deny the truth in unrighteousness. But if you hold them to their worldview, and remember, they cannot borrow from the Bible because they've rejected the Bible 
So if the Bible's not true, then evolution is all you got. How are you going to tell me from an evolutionary point of view that racism is wrong? You see, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the truth of God's word that shows us. Friends, listen to me. We are of one family. It's so important that you see that. When you look at your fellow image bearer, that you see them as exactly that, an image bearer of God. And many people that we come in contact with each and every day, their fellowship with God does not exist. They are walking dead, as we've talked about in previous episodes. Physically alive, spiritually dead, utterly lost. And so when you start to see your fellow man as your brother, as your sister, you start looking at them in a totally different way, don't you? You don't, you really don't see all those physical differences other than to say, hey, they exist. It's obvious they are there, but it only shows the diversity of my creator. It only shows his great creation. See the difference? Can you see how instead of looking at one race as the favored race, you start to look at everyone as one big human family? You see, friends, the answer is in God's word. The answer is in the scriptures. The answer is in the Bible. The answer is in Jesus Christ. That's where it has always been, and that is where it will always be. So, Meditate on these things. Go with God. Grow with Him. Go where He has called you to go. Do what He has called you to do. And share the hope that is within you. God bless. Thank you again for listening to the Forge Podcast. And don't forget to leave a review with comments. Let me hear from you. Leave a voice message through the link. I hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of God's Word in daily living. Remember, dear Christian, you are forgiven. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. May you grow in Christ and the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds which were caused by sinful choices or actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged. 
encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in Him.